1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 2 this morning. And we began last week our series in this wonderful, amazing narrative. And I'm excited to, to continue that today. I had a question come from one of my, one of my kids this week. Um, he said, Dad, did you know that everything in the world could and is, is made up of only 118 things? Um, he was referring to the periodic, periodic table of elements, that, that glorious table that you had to memorize at some point in your life. Um, I hated chemistry. <laughs> I hate. I thank God for the science folks. I thank God for the, the beauty of science that proves and affirms the glorious order of the universe and our God, that even to the smallest atoms, they can be distilled down to this one or more of these very small elements that make up all matter of the universe. It's amazing. Um, we began our series last week in the book of First Samuel in, thank you. On one of the themes we considered in Samuel was leadership, and better yet, kingship. And so as the nation, as we move from this loose conglomerate of tribes to, to, uh, to one nation under a, a king um, that God would permit as they desired a king, the question would come, what makes up a good king? What elements or characteristics make up one that will be faithful and good and those that would be, should be avoided? And so my mind went to this periodic table and I thought, what, what would it look like to put those on a, a table? What ingredients, what elements would be placed on a chart for this successful king? What, for a fruitful, blessed kingdom, what would be the ingredients, the elements that would be on that? What would be necessary for a joyful and blessed people in that kingdom? And how then should the king and his people live? Well, as we come to this this prayer of Hannah, she captures for us in this, this poem, this song, such ingredients for this kingdom and this king. Many would see her prayer as a sort of a table of contents of what will unfold in the book of Samuel. And really, we could boil it down to, to really two, two elements, two fates, two, two paths, two ways to live before God. Either one, humility that will look in faith and trust on Yahweh and His might and in obedience following Him and His salvation, or two, to live in pride, to look to self, to look to things in personal power and reject Him. Really, two, two ways. And this is what we're going to see unfold in this amazing prayer of Hannah today. But before we read, just a quick recap. Remember, in the first chapter of Samuel, we hear Hannah's story. This obscure family, kind of in a nobody town. We, we don't know who these people are. And there's this woman named Hannah. She's wife of this man named Elkanah. A woman with a, without a child. She's barren and she cries out to God for a child. And she vows if God would give her one, she would give him back to him. And he would serve the Lord all, all his days. And the Lord does. And she gives birth. She names him Samuel. And after weaning him... She now travels to Shiloh, where the, the this tabernacle temple place was, the place of worship, to entrust them to the priest, Eli, and to the Lord's service. And now in chapter 2, we listen in on a prayer, really a song of hers. After years of barrenness, of childlessness, 
she responds to God's goodness and for all he has done and all he's going to do. And it's, it's a beautiful song full of, of joy, full of conviction, full of humility, and as we will see, a prophetic word for Israel, uh, shaping for what's to come for them and what we will see, timeless truth that God would offer us to respond to this morning. So let's read and then let's pray. And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life And brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked shall be cut off in darkness For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. For the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Join me as we pray for the Lord's word in our hearts. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can come to 1 Samuel this morning, this this ancient book, and yet contains timeless truth and revelation about who you are, about your glory, about your holiness, and and about your saving work. And And God, we want your word to have its intended effect upon our hearts as we come in faith to hear from you. And so, Lord, come by your spirit, open up our hearts, open up our minds to to hear, to receive, to believe, to trust on you, and to be changed. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Isn't that beautiful? It's an amazing, amazing prayer. We're going to reflect on her prayer in in really three parts this morning, some some of her reasons in response for praise and rejoicing. And the first one begins with with who God is, a holy God of salvation, verses 1 through 2. Hannah's song and prayer begins with with very personal language. Maybe you, you saw that, my heart, my horn, my mouth, I rejoice. See, see, this is a deeply personal prayer from her heart. 
And her heart is in a very different place than we saw in chapter 1, not very long ago. In chapter 1, we saw that her heart was, was sad. We saw these descriptive words that it was broken, it was deeply distressed, it was embittered. She was in a, in a really, really difficult place, and now she knows a very deep joy. And as she prays from her heart, she speaks of her horn, her horn being exalted or raised. What, what is this? Well, the reference to horn is used as a symbol of strength in Scripture. In an agricultural time, uh, the horn of a beast is seen as, as its source of power, of its strength to defend itself from its enemies or defeat its enemies. The opposite would be if the horns were, were cut off or lost, there is weakness, there is powerlessness. And, and she, she's saying her strength, her honor has been lifted up by the Lord. Her mouth boasts and speaks boldly over her enemies. It's another sort of vivid nature enemy of an animal with its, its mouth wide open, devouring its prey in victory. All her joy and all her praise of God is because of His salvation. This is the source and foundation of her, her sense of joy, of, of what seems to be a victory. Now, now as we hear this, we, we have to realize something, something deeper is going on. She could have just said, Lord, I thank you for a baby. But she doesn't, right? There's, there's something bigger and deeper going on than just simply a gift of a child. We know she had this adversarial relationship with Peninnah, and, and in some way it captures her feeling of oppression that was coming from her, but I think it's beyond just her. Hannah's song is, is broader. It's capturing for us the heart of God's people and Israel's condition and what should be their hearts. If you recall, we, we considered that last week. We see Hannah as this, this picture of Israel, Israel who was running around independent of, from God, in chaos, broken, oppressed by other nations. And, and here, Hannah, they are to be like Hannah. They, they too are to cry out in a humble, radical trust. They must give all that they are to him as she is giving up her gift, her child. And he will lead them, deliver them from barrenness into life. Her prayer is capturing something very very radical about the people of God and their, their God. And he, he can do this delivering and this radical work of saving for he is the incomparable God. Notice the, these descriptions. There is no one like him. These, these parallel statements. None holy like him. That means he's completely separate. He's completely other. There's none beside him. No rock like our God. A rock, right? This picture of true strength, of protection, of power. And there is no one like him. Hannah's song fits right in with other songs of response to God's mighty acts and goodness for his people. Consider this in Israel's history. Moses, as they moved through the Red Sea, they were delivered from slavery and Pharaoh's army has just been decimated and crushed under the water. And Moses and Israel sing in Exodus 15. Listen to these similarities, these echoes. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Who is like you, O Lord, 
among the gods. Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Who is like him? This is the only one true God, Israel's God, Hannah's God, this sort of nobody woman here declaring the glory of God because she's encountered him. She knows him. This is how Yahweh works. It's, it's what he does on behalf of his beloved people. Then, it's what he does now. God heard the cries and saw the affliction of people in Egypt as he heard Hannah's cry. And he delivered an enslaved people that were powerless. They were slaves. They had no power. And he rescues them. No weapons, no strength, but by trusting on Yahweh, crying out to him, by his might, he graciously works deliverance on their behalf. This is the kind of God Hannah knows. This is the kind of God we worship. This is the God we worship, the source of our hope and our salvation and her joy. Who is like him? And notice Hannah's focus in chapter 1 and, and even in, now here in chapter 2. I'm so challenged by this as I, as I was just thinking about this through the week. She had no child and she cries out to God and God gifts her one. And her worshipful response to having a child is absolute focus on the Lord. Her, her circumstances in desperate need didn't keep her heart, heart fixated on the troubling situation she was on, but on the Lord himself in chapter 1. And now here, she has gifts and blessings and where her, her eyes and her heart. The Lord. We don't, we don't even really see a mention of little Samuel in this text, strangely enough. I'm sure she did plenty of times, but pain can have a crippling effect to keep our eyes on it itself. Just as much as gifts and blessings can take our eyes off the Lord himself. Both are opportunities for us to fix our hearts in trust and praise on Yahweh. Pain or blessing. I want God-centeredness like, like Hannah. In the good and in the hard. You see, in those good and the hard, the re- blessing and when we are low, God is doing heart work in us. In us so we can trust in him, whatever the outcomes. Answered prayers as we expected or answered prayers as we don't expect it, but he knows best. I love this quote by Elizabeth, Elizabeth Elliot. She said, the secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. This is the kind of faith that we see in Hannah. God's story that he's writing, that God wants us to trust in him, regardless of the outcome, we know he is doing what is good and best, even though we cannot see it. Her praise is just resounding and echoing. And, and now look at her song, verses 3 through 8. She, she is rejoicing in the God, the God of what appears to be human reversals. I mentioned this last week. One of our themes of our book is this, this work of God where he's just, he flips things on their head. The, the reversal of what seems to be human fortunes. The broken are going to be lifted up. The proud are going to be brought low. And this is thick through verses 3 through 8. So Hannah shifts from personally pouring out her heart, referring to me and I, and calls 
others to respond to this God who is holy and sovereign. What is the right response? Humility. Verse 3, look at, talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. Humility is the only necessary and right response when we encounter the glory of God. Close your mouth and listen. Stop all of your arrogant boasting. Because all proud human talking and deeds, as glorious as they appear at first, will be exposed as empty and futile. For he is the one who is all-knowing, and he weighs all deeds. He knows human hearts, and he knows that the human and worldly ideals of success and greatness will be exposed in God's wisdom. God's wisdom will prevail in the end. Look at all the poetic examples of these reversals. The, the bows of the mighty will be broken. The feeble, those who stumble around, will be the ones who will be armed with strength. Those who are full, feel like they have no need for anything, will be the ones starving, and it will be those who are hungry that will be full. Those who are barren are those who will, born, who will have born seven. At this time, the number seven is a symbol of fullness. Fullness will come to those who had nothing. It's a poetic way to communicate all that God will do in provision. And see how it just even overlaps with, with Hannah's situation, right? In a very real, tangible way. The fruitful Peninnah had all the fruit, all the children. And here is this barren woman, Hannah, who now is carrying what will be the prophet of God who will lead to the turnaround of Israel. Amazing. The Lord is the one who has power over death and life, poor and rich. He brings low and he raises up and he exalts. God is the one who can reverse all things of the human social order that we think is so glorious and so powerful and so in control. I mean, consider these categories that she prayed out, wealth and health and position, military power, political power, resources. These are the same things today that we look to, that we exalt. Humans think we got it all figured out and we are in control. And saints, we can fall victim to the very same things. We could be moved by the powerful things around us and think those really have dictating authority. And even in all of our modern advancements, our enlightened technological world, all the indicators of success and power that are often pursued godlessly, we can heed the wisdom of Ecclesiastes. There is nothing new under the sun. We should read her poem and say, there's nothing new. 1000 BC to today. There's nothing new, saints. Our God is the only sovereign Lord. And by all of His power, He can turn the things upside down to showcase His glory, His holiness, and His grace. Look to Him. And He can do all of that because He is the Creator. Look at verse 8. The pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them He has set the world. The Lord set all the pillars in place and everything just sits on what he has done. He created. The ancient thought was that the earth rested maybe on some sort of footings, like a, like a building. So if, 
if there was an earthquake, that there could be this danger. Is, is everything, is everything just going to crash and fall apart? We feel that. Something gets disrupted. Is, it, is everything going to fall apart? We need not fear. We worship Yahweh, the creator who holds all things together, who laid the foundations of the world. And his ways are to lift those who feel like they're stuck and in the dirt and seat them with royalty. He's the one to speak to the hearts of those who are, who are feeling like all the disruptions are going to leave them vulnerable and broken and say, I've got you. He destroys the proud and those who contend with him and challenge him. I mean, he asks questions like this, and he can certainly ask us of this, this question as he did Job. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurement? Surely you know. Where were you? Where was I? Where was Job? None of us. This should have a deeply humbling effect upon us. Where were you? But this is what it, the good news brings us as his people. It should have a deeply strengthening effect for us, saints. Maybe, maybe the foundations and the pillars under your life just feel super unstable right now. Shaking. What if we were left with the belief that all the experiences of instability in this earth, in our day, or in your life personally was just random cosmic chance? What if Hannah, in her barrenness, was, this was just a fluke, mystic fluke, mother's nature's spontaneous choice? That is absolute hopelessness. We have all causes to be anxious people, hopeless people, but saints, we find hope knowing our God is good and in control. Our God is in the heavens and he does all that he pleases, Psalm 115.3. And he's also, he is good and he does good. Meaning all that he pleases is good and includes him lifting up the needy and raising up his people, filling the hungry, strengthening those who are stumbling, those who are in dark, putting them in his light, sinners who feel enslaved, setting them free from that captivity so they may know his love and his grace. This is good. This is good for us. And also, because he is holy and just, it means the crushing of those who don't humble themselves and reject him. He is a holy God. And this is what we see next, the God who is judge and king, verses 9 through 10. Let's read this again. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. Would you just join me and read that little line there? For not by might shall a man prevail. That little line needs to stick with us because it will stick with us through Samuel. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. God will guard his faithful ones, but the wicked, God's adversaries, will be shattered. 
and crushed into pieces. As you know, one of my favorite places is up in the North Shore. And years ago, I was up there with my family, and it was just coming out of winter, the kind of the spring thaw is just setting in, even though there was still like ice and snow everywhere. And um, maybe it's too early to be speaking of ice and snow. Please, please forgive me if I've tempted your heart this morning. Usually I punch people who start talking about that kind of thing. No! But if you've ever been up there when that initial thaw begins to take place, at times those, the, the ice is melting on the lake and, and the wind blows those pieces of ice into the shore and, and it has this, as it crushes into the shore, it breaks, it breaks up into these shards that would look like glass, millions of shards of glass along the, the shoreline. As I was just thinking about this, this breaking of, of God's adversaries that takes place because of his holy power, I just envisioned this, this shoreline. It was once powerful, giant, stable sheets of ice, now just, just shattered fragments by the power, the thundering down of God's glory. The reversals of God. The things that we think are so strong and mighty. Little pieces. Little pieces but his faithful ones, those who, come, those who come in humble trust in Yahweh. These are the faithful ones, those who trust in the holy, sovereign Lord, who don't look to their own might, but look in faith on the mighty one, the Lord. For not by might shall a man prevail. What we are hearing in Hannah's prayer is, is God's principle for, for all humanity and directly to this monarchy that's about to unfold with a king. Will we rest on human power or on God's power? Will we look to the one who is the foundation of all things and worship him, or will we put men on pillars? Will we look to the divine ruler or fall to man-centered self-dependence? Military might and weapons or Yahweh for strength and victory? Will we count people and census people to think of ourselves as great? Or will we trust in the innumerable and count the innumerable promises of God? Author Andrew Reed writes, In this verse, Hannah indicates how kings and kingship will function. Just as all humanity had been described in terms of two fates, so it will be with kings, either judgment, self-exaltation, or humbly coming and God lifting up and exalting. This risk for kingship is reliance on human might. Hannah, in her weakness, had nowhere to go but God. So the kings of Israel are to not trust in might, but flee to God and depend upon him. Do you feel like there's nowhere to go but God? If you don't feel that way, then you might be leaning on your might. There's nowhere to go but God. Hannah's prayer takes us, takes, takes us to something deep and massive about God himself and the hearts of God's people. Her prayer sets out for us and for all that's ahead in Samuel, serving sort of as a paradigm of what will come. Human reliance, crash and burn. Or come in weakness and trust in God, and God will raise up even those who are in the dust. Poor, who have nothing. 
what are we going to see? Well, we'll see Eli, the high priest who's supposed to be the holy, holy one, setting out a perfect example, at least a wonderful example of what it means to follow Yahweh, Yahweh and him and his wicked sons are the ones that are going to have judgment come upon them. Actually, they were the one when they were, they were feasting on other people's food and they ended in the turn of the ones that are going to be left empty and dead. We'll see how God chooses to use the, the smallest sort of nobody shepherd boy and we'll gather little stones in a sling and he's going to be the one that's going to crush the, the most fearful, powerful warrior, a Goliath, and defeat an entire, entire army. See the reversals that will unfold? We'll see what happens when pride takes over the first king, Saul, and his downfall, and, and even David, when he takes another man's wife and he murders her husband. As we, as we see that unfold, as we read that story, we know what's going to happen. We know the proud are going to fall. That's the ways of God. And this is super important for the king to know. And this is how our prayer ends. Hannah's prayer comes to view this kingship so clearly in the last part of verse 10. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. God will strengthen his king. You can say, who is this king? And exalt and raise up the horn of his anointed. Here we see this word horn again in verse 10 as it was in verse 1. It returns to horn again. And and this time it is the, the horn of his anointed, the strength of his anointed. It's amazing. Hannah has moved from just a very personal prayer of her heart and my world to speaking to Israel as a whole. And now she's... Now she's prophesying. She's prophesying. At this point, Israel had no king. She was speaking of a day when there would be a king, and and this king would rise, and this king would be the Lord's anointed. This is the Hebrew word for Messiah, or we use the New Testament, Christ in Greek. And this anointing, this anointing would be what would be the practice of what would come to kings and priests and prophets as they were put in their position and their task. And this is, this is referring to a king who would come and who was also a Messiah. So we know in one sense this is anticipating the kings to come and David, Israel's greatest king, a man after his own heart, and yet it is speaking directly of a one day, many, many, many years later, the sovereign holy God would choose to come, not not send his king in and through a palace, but through a stable, through a lowly, unlikely woman who also embodied the humility of Hannah. Hannah's song mirrors a song we see in the Gospel of Luke from Mary. Mary understood this is how God's saving work happens in the world. She's carrying Jesus in her womb and she's saying this song in Luke chapter 1. As we read this, just just pick up on our themes. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he looked on the humblest state of his servant. 
For behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he has spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary singing song of the anointed king who has come. Mary proclaims his mercy is for those who, who fear him, who come humbly to entrust in awe in God's king. Did you hear the reversals? The proud will be scattered. The rich will be empty. But those who trust in the mighty God, not trusting in their might, will be the ones that are raised up, who will be filled who will be helped, who will be saved. There can only be two ways for us. Humanity described in two fates, as Reed points out. Humble trust in the Lord, turning from our attempts of self and pride, but placing our hope on the anointed King, Jesus, who will raise us up with Him. Or we will come under his holy thunder. The sovereign power and reversals of God provide salvation to the humble through his Messiah. Jesus. Consider Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, is the humble anointed king who brings salvation. And what, what, what manner did God choose his king to come? as a suffering servant, to, to take on himself the judgment of those proud in heart by taking their sins upon himself on a cross. The thing, this torture device of weakness and foolishness, and he uses that to defeat God's enemies, Satan, destroy death and sin's power. This is how God chooses to work. The Apostle Paul tells us that even when we were in our place of death, we could say our ash heap. Dead in our trespasses, as Ephesians 2 tells us, Jesus made us alive. By grace, we are saved. Nothing we have done, saints, but by what Christ has done. And he, what does he do? He raises us up with him and seats us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He raised you. He raised myself. Not by our might, not by our power, but by us actually coming to an end of our self. Confessing our proud and sinful, resisting and casting ourselves on Jesus. This is God's wisdom. This is what he chooses to do. God's wisdom is not the way of the world's wisdom and he chooses to show his might through the spectacular salvation of a crucified Messiah King. And this is why many people cannot grasp it and why Paul would write that this crucified Christ 
is a stumbling block to many. But to those who are called, what is it called? The power of God for our salvation. So how do you plan to prevail in your life? Friend, which side will you be on? The adversary of God to be dashed to pieces. Arrogance will only lead to you being brought down. Or will we come hungry, needy, feeling that we have nothing, and yet we will come to him to be filled and to actually sit with the king, come with humility and dependence and turning from all of our selfish attempts. And what will we know? We will know Hannah's joy. We will know this joy, this song that's being sung. So Hannah's song, her prayer is an invitation for us to join in and sing as well. But maybe, maybe you feel somewhat stuck. And I'm hoping these, these human reversals come to you to build faith today. Maybe you feel like you're in an immovable human fortune. God's invitation for you is to trust on the, the God of incomparable glory and power. Trust in him. Look to him. And what I'm encouraged by is how God would use someone like Hannah, a faith and a woman unlikely that feels in our story like somebody who is maybe a nobody to declare and herald the glory of God, to testify and witness of his grace. Saints, this is what God wants to do with you and I. He wants to use us to move out towards a world and witness and testify of who is truly mighty, who is truly good, and who could truly save. To use you, to use I, to use me. Hannah's prayer is doing far more than just thanking God for, for a baby. We have saw that today. It's prophetically declaring for Israel what their hearts should be like in worship of the one true God. And what a righteous king's heart should be like. And what we see fulfilled in King Jesus. And what our heart should be like as we move towards faith in him. What is that? The undeserving who come humbly and bow before the exalted Lord and King, Savior, Jesus. By his might, he lifts us up. And he seats us up, seats us with him in heavenly places for our joy, for our strength to know his mercy and goodness in his son. Let's pray and ask for God to fill our hearts with this sort of faith this morning. Lord, Thank you that, that this song, this prayer was given to us to point us to the one who fulfilled this very thing in his life and death and resurrection. That is your son, Jesus. And it's an invitation for us to come with hearts like Hannah. To humble ourselves, Lord, before you. and to to see your lifting, raising grace for us. Lord, I know there's some of my friends here this morning, Lord, that they likely feel 
they feel the upside down, the maybe stuck. And Lord, you come. <laughs> you come and you're the God of, of reversals. You free those who are bound. You lift up those who are weary. You bring those who are of anxious heart to bring peace and joy. Lord, those who are, feel empty, God, you fill them with your love and your strength. God, would you come and do your good, mighty work in our hearts today? And Lord, if we're here present and we, we get a sense that we're, we are, we're aware of our pride, what, what mighty things we've been looking to in ourself or around this world other than your might, Lord, would you turn our hearts to you today in faith to trust in you, Lord Jesus? And would you give us this sort of joy that we see in Hannah? That whatever disruptions we're facing and experience, we know that we are we're standing on the pillars of our Lord whose foundation is not able to be moved. Amen.